let's I think I'm recording on my end. Um, you had you had well, first of all, Lewis, thank you so much for for uh, taking the time to join me again here today, even though I was doing uh, uh, camel pose. I was in hot yoga whenever I was supposed to be in a podcast with you, so I apologize. Uh, I, I I don't feel bad for doing exercise for the first time in a year, but uh, anyway, I, I apologize, Lewis. So, but let's um, let's move into chatting about what it is you were wanting to chat about. I think you had reached out, or you had mentioned something about uh, uh, something you had seen on the NSSBE, mm -hmm. some some panel discussion, which I was not on, just to be clear. Um, and you just had some questions about incorporating culture and stuff into steel band education. I'm kind of curious, how do you want to start? What do you want to talk about? Sure. Um, okay. So the panel, I will wrap up mm -hmm. like very, uh, with, with none of the nuance or detail. Um, but what I got from it and talking to people who I think kind of got the same impression is it's important that we teach the history in steel band mm -hmm. and everyone who was speaking up in that meeting, like in the zoom webinar was in agreement. And the common concern was it's hard to find time to teach it in the ensemble, mm -hmm. uh, but we should do it. And it's important. Yeah. And that's kind of where we left it. Mm -hmm. um, and the, and like, there was good discussion. We talked like, talked about ideas of cultural appropriation. There was the Hawaiian shirt discussion, mm -hmm. um, which we talked, we talked about that, right? Yeah, we had, <laughs> we had that talk. Um, but yeah, it was like, everyone was like, okay, I, I don't have a lot of time to talk about this. Um, but I think we should do it. So one of the things I've been thinking about is like, yeah, how do we go from there? for everyone who is in the room, like how do we go from, I don't have time to really go into depth in this to like, I feel comfortable with what I'm teaching. And like, I feel great about what I'm doing every day. Cause like, if you're teaching a choir or an orchestra, especially at the university level, um, your students are taking one to four semesters of history of that ensemble. And if you teach steel band, there's no steel band history class that is required to be taken concurrently mm -hmm. at, at the University of Nebraska Lincoln or at AM Commerce where I went to school. Um, and so a lot of that responsibility is put on just like the ensemble director mm -hmm. to fill in those gaps in knowledge. Um, and the same thing for the instructors. It's like I was talking briefly with. Kim Johnson, um, who was saying, you know, if you're talking about culture, this is a great question for musicologists. And I was like, you're right, but it's not always the musicologists who are teaching these ensembles. Mm -hmm. It's grad students and percussion people with degrees in percussion because they're great marimba players and snare drummers and timpanists mm -hmm. who are now teaching a steel band because that's the job that they got. Right. Um, so like, that's the first thing is, how do we like what, what actually is important in teaching culture and like, how do we go about it in a way that doesn't take away from the steel band ensemble experience? Mm -hmm. um, and then also like, how do we get all of the people who weren't at that conference <laughs> who don't even know that this is important to like, take it seriously? Cause I can just like speaking from my experience, 
when I was an undergrad, I taught a steel band at the university for three years because we like didn't have the TA personnel to staff that ensemble mm-hmm. with like people who had other responsibilities and people who didn't have the experience. Um, and we like started a second ensemble because of the band. And so like it, like those are the kinds of things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm of two minds about that because I think like that experience is one of the best things that happened for me in college mm-hmm. of like getting to run a steel band for three years and having to make programming decisions, having to figure out how I was going to approach teaching history, how I would teach a low pan strum, like being primarily a high pan player. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like looking back on that, like 26 year old me would not hire a 19 year old me <laughs> to run a steel band by myself or why, why? by himself. Cause I like, don't think that I knew everything that I should have known to run that ensemble. Um, do you think that, well, I, 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 I hear everything you're saying and I understand everything you're saying. And I, I don't disagree with, there's nothing you've said that I'm like, wait a minute, that's hold up a second. But there is enough of the sort of premise, uh, like the premise of your, your sort of distant internal dissonance is like, I didn't know what I was doing, so I shouldn't have been in that position to do it. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Yeah. And I think with time, now that you're in this position, I think the important thing to recognize is not, and to think is maybe not that you wouldn't give Lewis, 19 year Lewis, that opportunity, but what would 26 year old do? Is, what would, what would 26 year old Lewis do with a 19 year old Lewis who really wanted to like have that experience? How would you do that? Like you might do it differently than what, how you were guided. Yeah. And then 30 years from now, that person will reteach in a different, in a new way, as long as you're keep like instilling in them what it is you feel is important, then that's how, in my, my view, that's how in my experiences too, working within Trinidadity and culture and in Caribbean culture, like Mm -hmm. I don't want to say like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, not everybody who runs a steel band knows what they're doing in Trinidad either. You know, mm-hmm. everybody is like history is happening a day at a time. And so I think yeah. your your individual responsibility um, is to just as much as you can inject as much knowledge and and um, context for what is going on as possible, um, because you're not ever going to know everything. Like I said, I, I get put in front of Caribbean steel bands to drill them sometimes, bro. I can say no. I'm not qualified to do that. Or I can say they're asking me to do it because they think I'm qualified to do it. And for me to turn it down would be an insult to them, you know, like, and then how you build that. And then I get experience. And and I think folks there generally read my intentions as being good and wanting to learn and wanting to help and further the knowledge of the instrument and the history and all that stuff. Um, But to your point about how like, folks in the NSSBE. And again, like I, I haven't been to those meetings, so mm-hmm. I'm speaking out of ignorance here on, on the operations there, but I think it is, it is tricky. It can feel overwhelming if you are a band director at a very small, you know, school in the Midwest and you, you're teaching concert band, you're teaching marching band, and then you, there's a steel band that meets every Thursday night. Like <laughs> there are real concerns. Money is a concern. Maybe your school doesn't have the funding to even get the drums tuned, 
let alone mm-hmm. hire another person to come in and teach it. So like, you're just going to have to get in there and, and, and sort of get your feet wet and get in and start doing it. Um, if for no other reason, then it's better to have the instrument in front of students. It's better to have that experience happening than to not have it happening in general. Mm-hmm. And so like, uh, but I think those sorts of um, positions, it's like the way we solve that is by getting better rep for those bands to play. So they're not playing the sort of uh, Marianne and Yellowbird and and a lot of the the sort of fundamental Caribbean island tunes that get played all the time. Um, there are songs that are better and will do the same things as the as Yellowbird. It's just they're not published yet. So like I think if we can get those things published, then a lot of the culture and sort of how low pan strums get taught or whatever. Mm-hmm. gets disseminated a little bit by default just because the music is like, we know what Bugsy's strums sound like only because fire down below is written down, you know, mm-hmm. like, so the more that stuff happens and that's something you can, you have a part in, you know, you have relationships with people in Trinidad. You now know, you know, Leon smooth Edwards, right? Mm-hmm. Does he have his yeah. music written down? Oh yeah. Yeah. He has all of it. Where can you get it? Uh, I forthcoming. I, I think great. He's an he's an old, amazing yeah. jewel of that culture. I don't know where to get his music. That doesn't mean it's not out there, but I know where to get John Cage's music. Right. You know, and so like in terms of like your advocacy, what you can be doing is you can talk to Leon. You can be like, bro, how can we get this stuff up on a website so that we can get it out to where everybody can play your music? Mm-hmm. I know that, but that's harder than getting on a yeah. panel discussion and convincing everybody that they should teach the history of World War II and colonial slave trade and how all that stuff affected the steel mm-hmm. band, you know. So anyway, I, what I'm saying is I think you got to do a little bit of both. And I think for any anybody out there who is afraid to teach culture, I think you now have no you have very few you have fewer excuses than I think I had when I started teaching at NYU. Not that, you, not that the internet wasn't around in 2005, it certainly was, but the dissemination of information on YouTube and podcasts didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, I, I had no way of getting a hold of Bugsy Sharp short of getting on a landline and calling him. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore. You know, if I wanted to hear Bugsy playing, I had to like find a CD, <laughs> you know, like that's not the case anymore. Now, if you're teaching a steel band, you can get online and be like, this is what Panorama is. And you don't have to take four rehearsals out of your semester. Take the (laughs) first 10 minutes of every rehearsal. (laughs) Every school has has a TV in it now because of COVID and Zoom and all that mess. Just have a Panorama playing every time, every time your rehearsal starts. Just as background music. And talk, and then when before you start, be like, "This was Pan Earthquake by blah blah blah. This was Do What You Want by blah blah blah." Like mm-hmm. written in nineteen, got third place, whatever. Third place. Why is there a third place? Well, there's a competition. Like, and then go on about your day, teacher. What? And then, I, I, and then just do that again the next day, and then do that again the next day, and then the next day, and then twenty five years later, you have twenty five years worth of students who by default now have more context for what it is they're doing. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's a really great book that I think anybody who's in the pan world should read. Well, there's two, the, the from Tim Pan to Taspo by Kim Johnson. Um, 
who you mentioned earlier, but then also it's a book called Bury the Chains by Adam Hochschild. And it's about the end of like the sort of advocacy around ending the British slave trade in the uh, 1800s. And, and then sort of subsequently what happened in Haiti and like the Haitian revolution and Napoleon and like, they basically bankrupted Napoleon by like keeping, keep, keeping fighting him in, in Haiti. <laughs> and like, it just became too expensive for the French. And so the French were like, all right, fine. Like in order to cover our debts, we'll give you the Louisiana purchase. And that then you know, we will, we'll, you can buy that from us and you can have that huge chunk of land that'll settle our debts in Haiti and we can move on. Yeah. It's like, this is all because we ended slavery and like you start to connect all these pieces of history together and then you can keep connecting down to Trinidad and you can sort of keep connecting up and to when like how Cliff Alexis came to the United States and how Lord Invader like World War II like but you're not going to do that all in one day. Mm-hmm. Start on the first day. And then maybe the next day pick a Clipsonian, pick Clipso Rose. Just play a few Clipso Rose too. like I think the the feeling of like oh my god, I have to teach culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god like that just feels like such a heavy burden um but i think if you just sort of like like you would you don't eat a pizza in one bite mm-hmm. cut off a slice chew it slowly and then just keep doing that the next day and then and then once you as a teacher you become more familiar with this stuff start being proactive by reaching out to some folks who maybe like you know me and let's say you didn't have this experience in Trinidad that you have, right? And you, you're yeah. just in Nebraska. You've never met anybody in Trinidad, but you know me. And you know I know a shitload of people in that scene. <laughs> Be like, bro, who can I talk to? I'll put you in touch with 15, 20 people who will most likely for free just help you out. But if there's 150 bucks for an honorarium to get them to come talk to your class or to play one time a year, do that once a year. And then do that every year for every time you're teaching, you get a little bit more culture in the room. Um, it's tricky. I mean, if you, I grew up in Dover, Ohio. There's just no, there's not a big Caribbean population there. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work to bring someone in. But again, now we have Zoom. So just bringing people in, having black faces talk to your students and just forcing your students to be like, wait, what did he say? I Oh, he's he's from Trinidad and the slang is this and, Oh, that's what that word means. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. And Oh, why that feels kind of offensive. Why are they saying, Oh, that's not at all what I thought it meant. And it's culturally there. It means a different, you know, that's how you do it. And I, I, I think the thing that I, I wish people would on these panel discussions would sort of, um, it's, it's the sort of Achilles heel of panel discussions is you can sort of have option paralysis. It's like getting on Netflix and you can be like, and you're just sitting there and before you know it, Netflix is like, why don't you let us pick something for you to watch? You know? And when, if you just were like, boom, I like that. And then the next day be like, Oh, let's check this out. That's the way you, I think should approach teaching culture. If you know nothing about it for myself, I live in New York city or I don't live in New York city. I work in New York city. Mm-hmm. Um, my responsibility to make those connections for my students at NYU to that culture is more relevant to me because I I can get on the subway and be in Crown Heights and I feel like I'm in, in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So if you are finding yourself uh, in proximity to a Caribbean population, you should be asking yourself, okay, what do I know anybody in that scene? No. 
Okay. Do I know anybody who knows anybody in that scene? Like there's a big Caribbean population in Toronto. You run a middle school steel band in Toronto. You should be reaching out to, there's a, there's a handful of people who, who can help you. Um, you run a steel band in near, near the Philadelphia area, Philly pan stars. I can put you in touch with the guy who knows everybody in that. I don't know anybody in that band, but I know somebody who does mm-hmm. like that world, this world in particular, the pan world, I feel opens up very quickly if you just start reaching out to people. Um, yeah. So that's, that's like on these, on these panel discussions, I just like, it feels like that's not something you can say on a discussion, which is like, start small, you know, mm-hmm. because everybody wants the like, how are we going to fix racism? Yeah. We're probably not on this Zoom call, like just to be quite honest, you know, um, yeah. but one of the things that this, this book, Barry, that Barry the Chain sort of really cracked my head open with was this idea that like, if you think of history as in terms of days, not years, slavery <laughs> ended 56,000 days ago in the United States. That's a different thing than thinking slavery ended 156 years ago. 156 years feels like, oh, that's 156 like channel changes ago. It's like, no, 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 no. 56,000 days. Slavery ended in 1860, whatever. Then day one of post-slavery. Do you honest, does anybody honestly think that the, the plantations didn't just open right back up the next day? They certainly did. If we're having trouble with people with masks now, do you think that like after slavery, people were like, well, okay. You know, like, no. Day yeah. three, plantations were still open. Week seven, still open. Mm-hmm. Year A year afterwards, I'll bet there were still some open. Mm-hmm. And then you start to get like, then the authorities come in and like, you can't do that. And then there's blah, blah, blah. Like, And now we're 56,000 days in and we have George Floyd. Right. And we have Breonna Taylor. We have, you know, Fernando Castile and we have... Um, you know, now we, we have affirmative action put in place, you know, whatever it was 30 years ago. Like there are things that happen, but it's like affirmative action took place. Okay. It's not like slavery ended or, or, you know, racism ended then, you know, George Floyd's murderer was found guilty. Mm -hmm. Cops are, those things are still going to happen. Sadly. So like, but it's day after day chipping away at it. Sorry. We got way off tangent from steel bands there, but like, I think when we think about this stuff, it, I want anybody running a steel band not to think I shouldn't do this because I'm not qualified. So I'll just I'll just hide and hope nobody notices. No, 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 no. Jump in head first. There's nothing in my experience, Trinidadians or people from the Caribbean who who really value and cherish this instrument. When somebody dives in head first, that's like the first box that needs to be checked in order mm-hmm. to get in order to get valid or um, not approval, but just sort of like all right, you're in it to win it. You don't know your ass from a hole in the ground. But come on in. It's awesome. You know, you're great. In my experience, that's been the vibe. So I don't know if I answered your question there, but that's my two cents. Yeah. Well, I think smart start small is maybe like the most helpful advice I've heard on framing this. Because I don't, I mean, I think there's argument. And if, if you, the deeper you get into the Caribbean culture, the more you see there's disagreements there too. Mm-hmm. On how things should go. I mean, there are people who are like, think I'm the devil because I use rubber tip mallets instead of wrapping them. You know, like, you know, the the the, the more onion layers you peel back, the more you realize it's like, oh wow, this onion just keeps going. And and there's you know, then you get down and so anyway, just to say that like, I I think get in the door and just start, and then keep doing it every day. If your students mm-hmm. are bored in that ten minutes. 
that's their problem. A little bit. It's yeah. your problem to keep them interested, but like, just keep being like, no, this is important. Here's why. The storytelling too, like, I was listening to Neil, to Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he was talking about how like to teach science, like science, uh, the teaching of science to the general public. Mm-hmm. You, if you're a good storyteller and you can weave the story and the narrative of what you're talking about, whether it be quantum entanglement or the rings around Saturn or whatever, or in this case, how to teach the incredibly complicated butterfly effect of history that made the steel pan come into existence. Excuse me. Um, that story is fascinating, bro. Like you can, you can talk about slavery without it being like this thing where everybody has to be like, Oh my God. Like you don't like, no, 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 this is like slavery. It happened. It's not, uh, we're not, we're not doing it right now. Me and you, what happened is, you know, like, do you know why perhaps that the, the, the black population has huge skepticism of the medical community? Yeah. Yeah. The Tuskegee experiments, but you know why else? Because for most people, in Western civilization, most African-American people's first experience with a Western doctor was on a slave ship. And that doctor's only job was to grease them down with beeswax and put wads of rope in their behinds to, to plug it up so that the dysentery wouldn't show. Now, do you think doctors the day after slavery ended were like, come on in, let's get you vaccinated? No. No. They did the same things. And then day three, and then day four. And now 56,000 days later, the descendants of those same people are being like, hold up a second about vaccines. Wait a minute. Like, that you cannot unring those bells in one fell swoop. But mm-hmm. you can you can tell the story of like, maybe not the rope story. Don't tell that to your middle school kids. But like, you can you can talk about this stuff. It's like, this is, this is fascinating it's traumatic it's terrifying it's all of those things mm-hmm. but it makes me love people even more to see how despite all that this thing has been made and we are now in lincoln nebraska playing right. it you know like that's not at all to say that like thank god for slavery like no not at all but like let's just call balls and strikes and, and read this stuff. And if you can spin that narrative to your kids and, and or to your college students or whatever in a way that gives them the context and the weight of what it is they're doing. Cliff Alexis, the first thing he did was showed me scars on his head. It's like mm-hmm. he wanted me to know that this was not a fairy tale. This was not a like flowered shirt luau gig. Like the story is intense and I want you to know it. And so I think if you as a teacher can can work on what that narrative is to you. And then how you want to deliver that to your students. You can get you can get kids early on really fascinated about history. You can get them fascinated about race relations. You can they'll understand a lot more of like, oh, that's fascinating that Steel Bands and Trinidad had problems with the cops mm-hmm. for all of these reasons. For class, because of class issues, because of race issues, because of socioeconomic issues, all of those things. Mm-hmm. We see issues happening now. It's like those things are related. They're not that dissimilar. One's with steel pans and one was a $20 bill. Right. You know, like, so anyway, all this is to say, like, don't make steel band a super depressing thing for your students. But like, but I think if you can find a way to weave that history in, I think it will show up (laughs) later in your students when they're 
adults and and trying trying to make sense of society, you know, and and how things work. Because the steel band world is, to me, I feel like a real good microcosm of how things can work. Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask, like, specifically, when you are teaching a steel band, like, how do you incorporate this? Like, what what does this look like on a day-to-day level for you? For me, I try, and this is something that I would say I'm doing better within the last four to five years than I did in the previous 10 to 12, um, mainly thanks to the relationship with Kendall Williams. Um, when Kendall was a student at NYU, this was 2010 or 11, I, again, there was not a whole lot of great, really good rep that I could program. I was doing like my own arrangements of things and using, you know, doing some, some proper printed music. We had Victor Provost come in one year, like, you know, there was some things, but by and large, I was just like grabbing whatever I could get. Um, and then Kendall came and I was like, oh man, this kid is a, of Trinidadian descent, arranges music and knows how this music goes. I should just lean on him and trust him. And so I started being like, man, do you have any arrangements we could play? And he would, we did a glorious, Gloria Stefan uh, arrangement of his called reach. And then, uh, a panorama of his called it's showtime. And having him in the room, um, and then him introducing me to the Brooklyn pan scene just sort of was like the, it made my life so much easier. And when I say like, you can view that as laziness or of like, I think as a good teacher is somebody who is looking around for somebody else to do the thing way better than what I've been hired to do, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like with, when I, when Kendall was a student, I was like, Oh, awesome. Okay. I'm going to, empower this kid. I didn't know him at all at the time. I was like, I want to empower this kid to do whatever it is he wants to do. And he told me that he wanted to do what I was doing, which was run a steel band. I was like, okay, I can, I can, I can teach you how to do that. Um, and so then oh, since that time, I've made it a point to program as much music I can of people from the, from the Brooklyn pan scene in particular. And I've programmed a lot of Kendall's music, Mark Brooks, Odie Franklin. Um, when we have guests in like Mia Gormandy, I basically tell the guest, um, program whatever you want. Like NYU is going to do four or five songs up front. The rest of the tunes are yours, you know? And then for part of the show, um, you have the stage yourself. We won't even be on it. Do whatever the hell you want to do. And so for me, the day to day stuff is like, yeah, I mean, I only see my students for three hours a week. Mm-hmm. And so it, I'm not lecturing to them. I mean, with this last year as an exception, obviously because of zoom. Um, but it is true that like when you want to put together a program of music, you only see your students three times, three hours a week. You got to just like, you got to rehearse, you got to have people play music together. So I can't spend an hour and a half just lecturing. But what I try to do is make sure that I have black voices in front of them as much as I can Mm -hmm. talking to them. Um, bringing them in. It was a huge hassle, but I, you know, trying to get Mark Brooks to come into NYU this year, it's like having to get him tested. And, you know, it was like a big nightmare, but I really felt like, you know what, you know, Kendall is working with us at NYU now, which was important to me as well. Um, but we got to get Mark in here. It was worth it because Mark just, they listen to him. They don't listen to me. You know, like I say all the same things and then Mark comes in and says the same thing, just in a different turn of phrase. And they're all like, oh, wow, that's genius. Um, But 
Mark also plays differently than me. That's another thing. I think having, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have people like Mark and Odie and Kendall and Quint Rose and, and uh, a whole handful of folks that can just come in and play. Also bringing in stage side steel bands. So for folks who don't know what a stage side band is, a stage side is like the year round touring group or, or act active group throughout the year. It's about anywhere between 15 to 30 players. So having the stage side band of whatever arrangers uh, I'm ha- or, or guest I have also bring in 15 other Caribbean players to like, to just sit in with my band. It's like, I, you can't teach that other right. than just being like, this is Jelani. He's going to stand next to you and he's five years younger than you and can play circles around you. And he's got it all memorized, mm-hmm. you know? And so like that, that sort of stuff for me has, is how I skin that cat on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think moving into next year when we're all back in person, um, I think I'm going to try to keep, we, we did a research paper this year in the first semester with my students where I basically, you know, over the course of the semester had them, you know, they had to do like a little, like a position paper on a, any, any artist from Trinidad. It could be a chef, Trinidad, Tobago, chef, musician, architect, it didn't matter, author, um, do a little deep dive in a presentation, five minute, sort of like, this is who this person is. And this is why I think they're important. And then we move on, talk a little bit about history, give context, some lecturing, some listening. Um, but then at the end of the semester, sort of make them all write not a crazy, like three pages, but tell me why, tell me why the steel drum, why steel bands exist in your words do research. Here's, there's a bunch of places you can look because one of the things you do, you start digging around and you hear stories that are completely different from, you know, the 15 people you talk to, you're going to hear 15 slightly different stories and they're going to overlap a little bit somewhere. And that's kind of maybe the truth, (laughs) you know? Um, And so I wanted that. So then they have to then be like, okay, this is in my viewpoint, this is where, how this thing sort of took shape. And it's interesting (laughs) They're all, all the students' papers are slightly different, but they all like, when you squint at it, you're like, yep, you're on, you're on the track. And (laughs) so my hope with that is that 15 years later now, you know, I've done that and didn't do that for 16 years. Now I (laughs) want to see in 16 more years, I'm going to sort of call a moonshot that in 16 years doing that very simple thing of just being like, you know, three pages, you can crank that out pretty quickly. (laughs) I hope that in 16 years many of the cultural conversations that I, I have with my students about the nuances of what's happening. I hope I get to be more nuanced. I hope I yep. get to talk about, you know, why, why the rubber tip versus the rap is a thing. Yeah. Because they've got all the other cultural context out of the way. You know what I mean? Um, also NYU is, is starting a global studies program, uh, that we're launching next year that, uh, NYU global has relationships in Dubai. They do stuff in South, South America. They do stuff in Ghana and we're starting a partnership with Trinidad, um, where the steel band will go down, uh, in the J term, um, and play with a steel band. And so like, that's the other thing I just feel like. You know, and it's taken a second as a teacher to sort of figure out how institutions work. This is the other thing. Like when you're when you're in an institution, it could be a middle school, it can be a college, it can be, you know, the after the, the United Way that started the steel band for elderly. Like how the institution functions, where the money flows in the institution, 
how to sort of stick a straw in that vein of money and be like, and suck enough off where no one notices (laughs) and then build your thing, do it well. Because if you're (laughs) super passionate about all the culture and all that stuff, but your band sounds terrible, that's going to, that's going to be a bit of a stumbling block for you. Um, And then, Start making some moves and just sort like, again, like I, I'm not a big sort of like I have a moonshot, but I'm willing to take 16 years to get there. I'm mm-hmm. not like this needs to happen now or I'm burning this whole thing down. Mm-hmm. That's just not, I'm, I'm a cancer that grows on the inside of the system and I'm going to get in there and I'm going to, I'm going to metastasize to everything so that they realize in order to get rid of me, they have to burn the whole thing down <laughs> and I don't want them to do that, you know? So, um, get in there, figure out like, if like go to your local school, like go to the school budget office at Lincoln, Nebraska and be like, what's the advertising budget for the orchestra? There's a line item somewhere. That's like, here's how much we're going to spend on posters for our orchestra concerts and blah, blah, blah. And be like, well, how much are you spending on the flute ensemble? How much does the flute studio get to advertise for recitals? What does the African drumming ensemble get? And what does the steel band get? Oh, cool. Okay. Well, we get a hundred dollars and the orchestra gets 1200 mm-hmm. just for posters. Maybe the, maybe the one step this year for Lewis Raymond Colker is to go in and be like, could we have 300 and then spend 150 on advertising and then spend 150 on a guest. Yeah. You know, and then the next year be like, and then record it, make <laughs> sure that you've, you've made it clear that this is what you're doing. And you know, do it well. And then next year going, can we have 350? And then in 16 years, your budget is $6,000. And right. now you can buy new drums. You can bring a guest artist in for a week. You know, you can fly them in, put them in a hotel. Like, but that stuff, it just takes time. It takes at least 10 years, <laughs> you know? And uh, so that's the other thing on the NSSBE stuff that it's hard for these panel discussions. Everybody wants the answer. Everybody wants the the sort of doc that you can take and be like, here's the work I did. I've made this pledge. I'm going to do this. It's like, cool, great. What are you doing tomorrow? Yeah. What, like, no, 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 no. What are you doing tomorrow? No one cares about what you've pledged to do. What's the actual thing? Who are you emailing tomorrow? Like, and most people have that very look on your face that you have, which is like, you know who I think you should email tomorrow, Lewis? Leon Smooth Edwards. (laughs) And be like, what do I need to do to get your music on CF Peters so that whatever people pull up John Cage, they can also go, who's Leon Smooth Edwards? Like, you know what? And you're going to, you're going to email him and you're going to get an answer back and you're going to be like, shit, this is going to take me two years. Yeah. You know, you know what, buddy? 56,000 days from now, somebody's going to look back and be like, Lewis Raymond Colker, just stop doing it after the fourth day. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that the people who do change history do it for 56,000 days. (laughs) You know? So like, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm rambling here, but, uh, but that's my, that if I was on any of these panel discussions, that's all I would say, and it would no one it would get nothing done because because nobody like nobody could take anything away from it of any real yeah. value other than be like I don't know email somebody tomorrow, and if you didn't right. hear back, email two people the next day. 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not being helpful at all, Lewis. I apologize. This is good. This is like great motivation, actually. Um, I, I hadn't heard the bury the chains, and I'm driving to Texas tomorrow, so I'm going to see if I can get it on audiobook. That came highly recommended from Andy Norell. Andy, I did a, a few podcasts with Andy. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of them. We did, th- <laughs> we've done three together, and the last one he really. I made a, I said something that was historically not accurate and he's like, and he kind of took me to task a little bit. And he's like, well, this is what happened and this is why this, and he, and I was like, can we just, can you just keep talking like that? I want to know. Like, yeah. and then he mentioned that Barry the Chains book was so, sort of blew his, blew his mind. So sure. Highly recommend. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, so with, with all of this, like with figuring out who to talk to mm-hmm. and with like learning the history and like just even like with the small steps and getting that in front of everybody. I was talking to Liam Teague about this. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he said is like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. If you are a director and you're just stuck with a steel band and you're not a panist, like how do you even find out who to reach out to? How do you know, like that you're supposed to be reaching out to people? Mm -hmm. Like why, what, how do you go from like opening the cabinet and saying like, here are the five tunes that we have and here are the pan mallets and here's the budget. And like, we're going to do what we did last year to like knowing that you're going to reach out to people. Uh, I think, well, I think the, there's a big sort of, sorry, I'm trying to think of how to say this without coming off as an asshole. Um, I think that as a teacher, and as an advocate, which is something I've for the pan world, which is something I consider myself to be, and I would venture the same for you. Yeah, it's it's not a hundred percent the other person's responsibility all the time because Liam's a hundred percent right. You don't know what you don't know. If you if you know, I there's lots of stuff I walk through my day completely ignorant of, like. And I don't know to ask questions about certain things, and and I don't. I don't feel like an obligation for all, for, for various reasons on various different issues. But I think a generosity of spirit from folks like you and and me, whenever you come up with, whenever you run into somebody who is ignorant of some of the context or what's happening, or you see a whole band, you know, a middle school band all wearing flowered shirts and all wearing brightly colored Crocs and, you know, or whatever, whatever the, whatever the, the sort of uh, stereotype of that stuff would be. I think the thing to do is just to go up and be like, you're killing it. Do you know this person? Oh my God, you would love this. This tune that you're playing here sounds exactly like Conscious Chutney. And I think you would love Conscious Chutney. And, you know, oh, like, oh, you should watch this thing. Like, just excitement breeds excitement. And again, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you can weave a tale to somebody who is like doing something that they seem to enjoy. And then just be like, have you heard this pirate ship story? Like, <laughs> like, do you like the Goonies? Because I've got a tale for you. Uh, and it involves Spree Simon. It involves Lincoln Noel. It involves Ellie Bennett. Did you know that they took the a, a rival band, Casablanca? I think it was Casablanca. Took Liam's pan called the Barracuda. Stole it from him in a fight. Or to- maybe it was Tokyo or something. Stole it in a fight. And they hung it from a tree. They lynched Ellie Minette's pan. And he did not go and get it back. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, maybe don't use the word lynched in that conversation, but you can be like this. 
do you, uh, this is so awesome. Like, and, and I think that spirit, mm-hmm. like that one person will be like, whoa, that's crazy. And then maybe they do one thing the next year that's different. Yeah. It's up, it's on, it's on you to, to show them those resources and not to expect that they're just going to discover them like the dead sea scrolls, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like people yeah. are not going to just randomly wander into a cave and find context for the history of pan. They're just not. And so it's on you and me to just keep putting resources in front of people. Um, you get stuff published by, by Leon smooth Edwards and you see a band playing music that you feel is maybe out of touch. It's not their fault. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I think a lot of people would see it as their fault, but for me, ethically, it's easier for me to teach and get the mission, the ball move forward two inches. If I perceive it as my responsibility rather than theirs, it's less stressful because I know I can fix it. <laughs> I don't know if they can fix it on their own. I know yeah. I can help. And so just help, just get out there and start volunteering, mm-hmm. recommend your friends. Um, that's the, I, I don't know of any other way. I mean, there's resources out there. It's not like there's a lack of it, but yeah. people aren't just going to, unless somebody says, you know, wakes up one day and is like, I had a dream. I'm going to research the context of pan before I, you know, as a flute player, I'm going to read to research the context of pan. Uh, so that after my middle school flute ensemble and I have to teach steel band for 43 minutes, it's like, that's that revelation's not going to come to somebody by default. And so I think it's upon us to help. Um, again, I don't know if that's a, that, that's a, that's a good answer, but it's been mine. And the, the other reason too, and this is just me personally, shame doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does to a certain, certain degree. Um, but over the long haul, uh, generosity is going to get, get both of our missions way further than, than being like, don't you know what you're do- you're doing? Don't you know how rude you're being to the Trinidadian culture? <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, you're right. And that's, that's good to hear. And that's, um, I, I know who I'm going to email, uh, today. <laughs> Who's that? Um, can this be off the record? <laughs> no, yeah. You don't have to say it. it's fine. Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't just in, in, in sort of, do you have any, sorry, do you have any other formal questions for me before? Not really. Just keep talking. Okay. Um, yeah, I have to, I have, unfortunately, just because I messed up, I do have to go and, and do some things sure. here in a minute. But, um, I think the thing that has taught me more about steel pan than anything is just being around Caribbean people. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there, yes, read Barry the Chains, read anything by Kim Johnson that you can get your hands on. Look up Ray Funk in Alaska. He is a federal, former federal judge in Alaska who is one of the world's authorities on Caribbean culture, uh, history, and specifically like Calypso music in Trinidad and Tobago. But yeah, read, read all that stuff, but go to, go to a black space. I'm sorry. Go be in a black space. Go be in a Caribbean steel band place if you can do it. And if it means coming to New York and getting a, a an Airbnb for three or four days and, and coming to some of the pan yards in Brooklyn, 
do it, do it, do it. If you run a steel band, reach out to me and I will put you in touch with somebody and you can come and just stand upright in a pan yard for four days and not do anything. And you will walk out of that pan yard with, with at the bare minimum, having tasted food that you've never had before. All right. And then that will teach, that will help you teach your steel band slightly differently. But you'll also be in that steel band, and I may walk up to you and be like, hey, go back in the back and hold this cowbell and hit it on the quarter note. Mm-hmm. And now you're playing. Then you're like next to an iron player, and that person's yelling at you, and you don't know why. And then the drum set player turns around and says, don't listen to him. He's, he's terrible. You know? And then you're, now you're friends with the drum set player, and there's a weird alliance you've just formed, and you don't know anybody's names. And like all of this is happening. Somebody hands you a rum and coke, and you're like, I'm in public. Should I drink this? Like, I'm sorry. That's the way to, if you want culture and you want to truly understand it, take your white face into a black space. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that to be like, you're not going to be, no one is going to be like, get out of here, whitey, or anything crazy like that. Just go and be genuine. Go be honest. Go be curious. And Mm -hmm. you will not regret it. I don't know any other way to, to put it. I mean, everybody, I see a lot of people fretting about, race relations and, and for all the right reasons, but the, the easiest thing to do if you, if you're ignorant of a culture is to go be in one Mm -hmm. and just be yourself. That's the other thing too. Don't go into a black space and try to pretend to be what you think they want you to be. Yeah. That is the, of all the things that I've like, like that I've, in my experiences with black people in those spaces is like, just be yourself as quickly as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. That's that's the history of slavery has has put on black people for them not to be themselves. And so their bullshit meter for that is really finely tuned. <laughs> and so Lewis, I know if you walked into a yard in Brooklyn or in Trinidad, like people can read like in two seconds, like, yeah, yeah cool. And you're in. Mm-hmm. And then just do that again the next day. And then the next day, and then 56,000 days later, there's 400 other Lewis Raymond Culkers who ran a steel band and thought they were shitty at it and then went and played in a steel band and felt less and less afraid about it every year. And then 200 years later, we – not that there, there will be different problems, but not the ones we're talking to. They're going to look back and watch this podcast 200 years from now and be like, these guys were crazy. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, take that, take all that for what it's worth. I, I, I know only what I know and I know what's worked and what's not worked for me. And for me to say that how I run a steel band in New York will work for somebody in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's, I can't, that's objectively not possible for me to say, I don't know. It's a different culture, a different set of people, different set of needs. Mm -hmm. What does the community need? Maybe the community needs a steel band to come and play their ice cream socials. If that's the vehicle for teaching culture, do it. And stop complaining you're not playing at Carnegie Hall and that you're playing at car- Ice Cream Socials. Go do it. It's better to play it than it is to not. Um, so, right. Lewis, I have rambled at you enough and I'm going to get off my soapbox, but I did want to apologize one final time for completely shitting the bed and being doing my downward dogs today when I should have been on a podcast with you earlier. But I appreciate your time and I appreciate your, your curiosity too. I think the pan community is going to be well served by by folks like you just keeping asking questions and keep making connections yeah thank you um i appreciate your time too and also i have definitely like especially since the last time we did one of these mm-hmm. i have just started messaging people and 
and say like, can, can you talk? Do you have an hour to spare? Um, and yeah, game changer. Like talk to Kendall like a month ago about Brooklyn Panorama and he like opened every door mentally that I needed. Yep. And if you had not emailed people just because you were worried, they were not going to say yes or that people weren't going to like, why would anybody want to talk to me? Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, Lewis, it's the people who email. It's the people who do Mm -hmm. that do. And it's the people that build that build. And so you're either building or you're, you're the building. You're either watching people building or you're tearing something down. Mm-hmm. I would like to build and I see things I'd like to tear down, but I didn't build it. I'll tear down my own shit. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, so just keep building, keep, you know, you've done chat with Kendall again, reach out and be like, Hey, I have a few follow-ups. Yeah. Get him on. The, and then just keep asking him to, to, until he says, bro, leave me alone. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, man. Stay healthy. And it was good to chat. All right. I'll send this file over whenever we're done. Just so you can, you can share it around as you'd like to. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Take care. All right. See you, Lewis. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by liquid drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend, Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check them out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, uh, and so percussion, as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, He's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in Pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aliandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.